for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blisey, and this is episode number 21. And on today's episode, I have Justin Fabian with me again. If you guys remember on episode two, Justin came on and we talked about uh, his move from New York to Iowa. We also talked about a big deer that he shot in Canada. And we said we were going to do this again and just haven't really had much time to do it and wanted to talk about uh, you know his, his state land adventure this year in, in, in Iowa and, and kind of where my season was at. And, and it just so happened I had a pretty eventful weekend in the deer woods here in Michigan. So... We really uh, hit on that, and we also talk about Justin's first encounter on state land on a hang-and-bang set, so it's a really cool episode, and it's kind of different. Justin, he kind of interviewed me a little bit also because he wanted to know what was going on with me, and you know, I lay out the whole story and, and everything and how everything happened this last weekend, and you know, I really hope everybody enjoys it. So without further ado, I'm going to get Justin on the phone, and uh, we'll get right into it. Hey man, what's going on? Hey, not too much. How are you? Good, good. I'm tired. Uh, I've been hunting the last couple of days, and I'm ready to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I was up for. I was up quite late the other night working on a show that was due Wednesday, so I'm still. I feel like I'm still catching up from that, but. Quite late, as in like midnight, or you pulled an all nighter. Oh, I was. I saw the sunrise. <laughs> Jeez, so Pete's man. Did you get it done in time then? Yeah, yeah. It was. It was in on time and posted and on all of our platforms, ready to go. So there you go. Pretty good episode. Had three kills in it, and I was just nice to have a, uh, you know, some good stuff to work with. And this time of the season, you got to get those kills out there and get those views up you know for sure man well before we get too far i want to let everybody kind of know who who i'm talking to and you know uh you were on episode number two i believe it was so for everybody listening i'm uh talking to justin fabian again um he was on episode number two and I don't know, the last episode we talked about getting on and doing another podcast and because we talked about, you know, your move from New York to Iowa and yep. to work for Midwest Whitetail. And then we kind of left it with also talking about your public land adventure you're going to do this year for the first time in Iowa. So maybe we kick yep. it off with that. How's the how's the public land stuff going? Uh, it's going good, man. Um, I actually only went in for my first hunt uh, Thursday of last week. Uh, so, um, a little over a week ago now, but, um, you know, it was a rewarding hunt at that. I passed on a nice buck that, uh, is bigger than anything I saw in New York, you know, before I moved to Iowa. So, um, I don't know that, that episode went out today on our public land, uh, video blog. 
on Midwest Whitetail, but uh, I don't know. I was getting comments right away saying I have more willpower than than some of the people that would have been out there, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's just one of those things, you know. It's, uh, I kind of I don't want to say have a higher standard, but uh, maybe a higher expectation for my first Iowa buck. So um, I think he was just a three year old. So I mean, I would make that choice again based solely on the fact that it was three, but. Um, it was just a spot I picked based on the map and the wind and what I thought would happen and how they're going to move. And it was just, it was just cool to see that what I thought would happen was exactly what ended up happening. So just, that's uh, cool. Yeah. That was kind of the, I guess the reward in itself to even have the encounter with a buck. So. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's cool know. just to have a plan, especially in a place that you've never been to before. And you go in there and, you know, that's that just having that encounter, that's a success, you know, in my eyes, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I seeing a nice three year old like that and his the footage was great. And we, we were able to see him for a while. You know, we got some good pre-roll of him. and He just bellied up to the river and just started trucking across it. You know, he's right up to his chest um, all the way. You know, I couldn't see any of his legs. Just water was rushing. We're there's a lot of flooding down here right now and he didn't even care. He just trucked it right into that water, came up the bank and made a scrape 10 yards in front of me, shook all the water off. I just let him walk by at 10 yards and it was just a, just a really cool first hunt for, for my first Iowa hunt. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and and the, that, that, uh, that decision will ultimately probably pay off, you know, it might take yeah, you all season so. until late season and you, you might kill one then, but you know, it might, you might be like, ah, kicking yourself in the butt now, but it'll, it'll pay off for you. Sure. For, for you, for yeah. sure. Yep. But, so what about you? Has, uh, you've been doing a lot of work on your farms. Uh, anything panning out for you up there in Michigan? Um, yeah, it has, you know, you know, I've been talking to you quite a bit, you know, the main farm there where I got the one acre, um, you know, I, I went in last December and just trying to, to make that a lot better, trying to hold some deer or hold some bucks or does. I'm actually trying to hold the does a little bit more than the bucks just because, you know, the bucks will be there. Um, but I'm really trying to strive to get a, you know, higher age class. I want, I want to go after three and a half and four and a half year old deer. Um, and honestly, you know, just about a week ago now today, um, I ended up getting an opportunity at a four and a half year old on that farm and, and, uh, I kind of screwed it up. He, he read the script perfectly and, and I screwed it up. <laughs> oh man. Yep. I, uh, it is, it really is. You know, you, you put so much time and effort into something and, and you hope the plan comes together and when it does, and then the moment of truth, and then you just kind of, you know, rush it and I don't know it's I I've had a lot of history with this deer um I named him Jim Abbott uh I had him on the farm last year you know he showed up around in July and he showed up with a deer that I named King Joffrey as well and those two were running most of the summer together and they're both three and a half year old deer I mean you could tell they were by body size and everything and you know, yep. they were the biggest deer I had on the farm and, and, uh, they were, they were on the cameras every once in a while throughout the summer and, um, come into about a month later in August, they, they vanished for a little bit. And then right before velvet came off, uh, they both showed back up, but they were separate. They weren't together anymore. And I think they kind of like chose each side of the farm and, you know, they were like, this is mine. This is, this is my side and this is your side. And, and then they were never together, you know, and I was really hoping to get an opportunity at them. And, and I figured my best opportunity was going to be early October just because, and you know, the, our falls, your and I's falls are, you know, really jam up because we're always filming and everything. So I knew, yeah. you know, Casey and I were going to leave for a Iowa trip around mid-October and we weren't going to be back until Thanksgiving so I wasn't going to have a chance in the rut or nothing with him Adam you know and and uh I decided to go in 
on October 6th and end up encountering a deer, a good two and a half year old split double split round nine or yeah, double split round nine pointer that I named Jeffrey. And he's actually back this year. He's a, he's a good looking three-year-old. He, he doesn't have two double splits. He's actually only got one split brow. Um, but he, he jumped to probably right around that 120 mark probably as a three-year-old. Yeah. So, um, that was cool. And I got to hunt one or two more times and, and, but never saw either one of those deer. And, uh, that was kind of my game plan last year going into the season and I, I didn't make it happen. So I knew I wasn't going to get a chance till, you know, around Thanksgiving. And, uh, I was waiting patiently <laughs> because I knew rifle season was coming up, you know, November 15th, the opening day of, of Michigan's rifle season. And, and, uh, I'm just like, I know these deer are probably going to die. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. so my wife sends me a picture on November 15th, the night of November 15th. And, uh, it was a picture of King Joffrey and the neighbor had killed him. And, uh, I was really, yeah, I was really happy for the neighbor. Um, he's a family friend of ours. That was his best year ever, you know? And, um, he ended up scoring like 128 and some change as a three and a half year old. But Jim Abbott, he, um, the reason why I named him Jim Abbott, and I've said this on the podcast before is this, I'm a, I'm a big baseball fan and, um, there was a pitcher that went to the university of Michigan and he played in the MLB and he actually won a world series and he was a pitcher, but he was only born with one good, you know, hand. And then the other hand was, you know, he just had, he didn't have a hand and uh, he was a pitcher. And uh, so he kind of defied all the odds to be honest with you. And that's what this deer really did too, is he's, he, uh, he's a really elusive deer and, and not a lot of people saw him. You know, so I didn't know if he was dead or not come November 15th. And um, November 18th rolls around, and my wife calls me, and I'm in Iowa, and she says, uh, well, at that time last year, we didn't call him Jim Abbott. I gave him, his, him that name this year, but we ended up calling him uh, Lefty and uh, the year before. And she's like, I think Lefty's behind my mom and dad's, uh, she, he's locked down with a doe and it was during the rut, obviously. And, and sure enough, he was there back there and he stayed there most of the day. She watched him from her mom and dad's house. And, um, I was, I was excited because he was still alive and he was in an area where there were some hunting, there was some hunting pressure, but not a ton. And, uh, so yeah. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe he'll be around when I get back for Thanksgiving and I can get back out. So fast forward a couple of days, I get home and, you know, we do the Thanksgiving stuff and everything. And, and, you know, shortly thereafter I said, yeah, I want to go check cameras. So I went out and checked cameras and sure enough, there he is. He's on, uh, he's on camera in an inside corner of a cut bean field on us. And I call the stand, uh, Peyton's point because that's my daughter's name. And I hung it right, right, right around when she was born. So I was like, oh, it's a fitting name. You know, it's a. We'll just name it Peyton's Point, and that's the yep. that's the spot where I got his first picture, and he was coming through that like three forty five in the morning. So I'm like, how do you kill a deer that's you know nocturnal? Well, you just kind of got to hope a doe brings him by, you know what I mean? Or late season yep. if you've got the food, then hopefully he'll be back. So. I decided to go bow hunting the next day and I, it was a good wind and good, you know, good weather. And I was going to try to lay eyes on him. I was going to get in Peyton's point and, and try to lay eyes on him. And I never saw him. I ended up seeing like 22 deer, a lot of does, a couple oh, wow. bucks. Yeah. And we had a cut cornfield, uh, just to the North of the farm too. So a lot of deer were going to that cut cornfield. And so, didn't see him and I knew I was gonna get ready to leave again for late season and I wasn't gonna get much time to hunt um so I left and went down to Ohio with Casey and he ended up killing a good deer down here and uh I came back with a couple days left in muzzleloader season and then I kind of I kind of got to the point where I was kind of feeling like I should just not pursue him 
I don't know if you've ever had that feeling or not, but it was like a deer that I just, you know, I felt like I had, I don't know. It was just weird. I was like, should I really go out and try to try to go after this deer? I'd really like to see him get to another year because around me, a lot of people don't muzzle or hunt and you know, the deer just, you know, if they make it that long, then they're probably going to make it throughout the, through the rest of the year. And I was trying trying to fight with myself and ultimately I was like, well, I'm going to go check the cameras and, and see what I got. Well, sure enough, he's on every camera and he's in daylight and I'm like, well, darn it. But the only thing was is so to just kind of draw a picture for everybody, his, uh, left side he's got a really good four points on one left side and on his right side he only grew like a eight inch spike with a split and he ended up breaking that off so he just had a left side and I'm like well that kind of made the decision for me I'm like I'm I'm not gonna go after him you know what I mean I just want to let him nobody's gonna be on the farm I just want to let him do his thing and just just you know be him and and feel like he's safe, you know, and I want to see what he looks like next year. So right. I end up going to another farm and I, and I kill a really good deer. I killed 125 inch, three and a half year old with my muzzleloader, which is my biggest muzzleloader deer and biggest Michigan deer too. So that worked out and it was a good like ending to the year. And, and then, uh, and then that we came into the 2018 year and I want to do some hinge cutting, you know, and, and you and I talked about this a lot and I've talked about it on the podcast a lot. And, you know, I went into that one acre and just hinge cut a lot and made some bedding and, and really thickened it up and, and made some, you know, woody brows and some food for the deer as well. Open up the canopy and, and, uh, got all my stands hung early. And because my plan, I was going in with a different plan this year, I wanted to, stay out of the farm. I wanted everything to just be able to relax and just do their own thing. And I didn't want to mess with that at all. So going into it, I got everything done hung by like, uh, June, like middle of June, everything was hung, cut, you know, all the shooting lanes were cut. And now it was just like sit from afar in glass and just let the cameras, um, just just let them take inventory. My plan was to not go in and check cameras for like at least a month at a time. Like I'd let them sit for a month, month and a half. Um, but one night I was sitting, it was July 10th. I think it was July 10th. I was sitting out there and glassing and, and he stepped out with like six other bucks in a big bachelor group. And I, I had a buddy with me and he goes, Holy cow, who is that deer? And he was referring to his body at first because his body was just so big, big belly, big, like big head, big nose. And, um, he looked like an Iowa deer, you know, and I looked at him and I'm like, who is that? You know? And then he kind of picked his head up out of the beans and sure enough, it was Jim Abbott. And that's when I named him Jim Abbott. And, uh, I'm like, holy cow, he's back. And what he did is he grew the same antlers. He didn't change much there except he grew a little bit of length, not much, but the mass. He put on a lot of mass. And uh, so my quest from there, you know, with having a little bit of history with him, you know, no encounters, but a lot of trail cam history. and, And my wife saw him and, you know, I was like, this is the deer I want to pursue this year he's four and a half I want to try to kill a four and a half year old deer on really a farm that I really you know have all the odds against me you know they're stacked against me I have uh, you know it's an 80 acre and then on the opposite of the road there's a 40 so it's like a half mile dirt road that divides it and there's only four acres of total timber on it so on the east side of the road there's only one acre and then on the on the west side of the road, there's there's three acres of timber, but it's, you know, it's very, all the timber around are very little woodlots. And on the east side, or the, I'm sorry, the west side of the road is where Peyton's Point is, where the three acres of timber is. So I'm getting pictures of him all summer in Velvet, watching him from afar, and just thinking, you know, I want to I wanna get after this deer and figure out where he's, where he's living and, and try to get, 
get an opportunity at him. And uh, season comes around. Well, I, I went on dropped. You know, we left September 11th, and we were gone yep. a month. And uh, we went up to northern Saskatchewan on a moose hunt and a bear hunt and uh, had a lot of fun up there. But before we left, I made sure all my cameras were good to go. So when I get back, I was going to be back like the 6th of October or 5th of October, I think. And um, I wanted to check cameras and be hunting possibly on the 7th. And that's what I did. I went in and checked cameras, and nothing was, like, real promising. He was on there all the way up till September, basically when Velvet came off. He was on there. And then, just like they always do, they were gone. And so now it's, like, my goal was to sit a couple observation stands and just see if I could lay eyes on them. First night I went in, I went onto the the east side of the road where the one acre is, but I didn't sit on the one acre. I just didn't think it was the right time. And uh, sat on a, a point that I have on the south end of the farm, and I saw a couple does, never saw him. Uh, but I knew, you know, that there was a big cold front coming up that next Thursday, which you guys were getting as well. Um, yeah, I think we I all remember, got a little, little piece yeah. of it. Yeah, I remember you and I talking about it a little bit, and uh, I, I, you know, I sat that Sunday night, and I'm like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the farm sit. I want to hunt it on that cold front, and it was gonna be like a 20 degree drop in temperature, like from, you know, 78 to like 58 or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so Thursday, for some odd reason, I just had a hunch, a gut feeling that I needed to go to my family farm and not go to the main farm and i'm like well okay i'll do that i had a good win for the set i wanted to go into and i'm glad i did because uh i saw 20 deer i think it was 20 deer three bucks nothing uh nothing that i really wanted to nothing that really came within range but nothing that was you know impressive where you know no three-year-olds or nothing like that so i had a really good sit but the deer were moving like crazy um and that was Thursday. And then that Friday, I had to work and then um, had some family obligations Friday night. And as we're sitting there Friday night, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I, you know, I should go hunting Saturday morning. And uh, this is the 13th, which would have been last weekend. Yeah. And uh, there was a west wind. It's supposed to be like 32 degrees. And I asked my wife, I'm like, do you care if I go hunting, you know, because uh, I didn't know what her plans were, you know, with the baby and everything. And she's like, yeah, you know, no problem. And, uh, so then I'm thinking, where do I go? And I had a West wind and the only West wind stand I have on the main farm right now is Peyton's point. And I'm like, the only thing is I gotta, I gotta walk through a standing bean field in the morning to get to it. But I thought, um, on the neighbors, he's got three woodlots that are very low pressure, a lot of white acorns, which we have a crazy crop this year. And I was thinking a kidding. lot of those, what's that? I said, you're not kidding. Yeah. I mean, you could go out and just fill five gallon pails up with those things this year. Yeah. So I'm thinking all these deer that I'd be hunting would be on the neighbors and maybe I'd be catching deer coming over on to me you know, coming into my three acres, you know, cause there's a lot of white oaks in there as well, but I also have standing beans and I figured it might be cold enough to where they would want to come in and, uh, and eat the beans. But the kicker was, uh, my brother-in-law had wheat flown onto the beans. So like within the beans on every row, I mean, it, there's like nice lush wheat too. So I have like basically a green food plot too. So I'm like, I think I should probably go there. But my thoughts were I needed to get in and be sitting, be ready, and just breathing basically at least an hour before daylight even cracks. Just because if I do kick any deer out of there, maybe it would give me enough time for everything to settle back down. So I got up and I went out there and as I was walking in, I almost get right to the woods and a deer bust and uh, never saw me because it was so dark, never smelt me, um, could hear me, you know, so I don't know if it really knew that I was a human or not. 
But I, I'm guessing it was a doe. She ran into the woods, the three-acre woods, and started blowing a little bit. And I'm like, you know, darn it. You know, you hate when a deer blows. and you. But she was the only one that I kicked up. So I got into the stand, got everything ready, and was just sitting there waiting. And daylight finally came. But I had only an hour to hunt, and uh, I had to be on the stand at 8 o'clock. So basically like 45 minutes I had to hunt. So it pops daylight and uh, I kind of get up and there's like a little bit of frost on the ground and I'm just kind of glass in the fields. I can see all over, you know, and I'm just hoping to lay eyes on something, you know, Jim Abbott or one of the other shooters. Cause I got some other shooters in the farm too, and just kind of see what the heck's going on, where they're moving. Well, about four or 500 yards to my West, on the neighbors, there's a woodlot right there. And that's actually the woodlot that my wife the year before saw him locked down with that doe in. And uh, some other people had seen him in that woodlot as well from a distance. And I, uh, I see a deer on the edge and I pick my binos up and I could see it was a really big body deer, but he had his head down, couldn't really see the head. And uh, he finally picked his head up. And I could see he had good antlers, pretty good antlers. And he turned and looked my way, and I said, holy cow, that's Jim Abbott. Right away, I knew it. You know, it, The first deer you saw. The first deer I saw, yep. And, uh, yeah, so I knew it was him, and he's pretty distinct. You know, Not a lot of other deer that I've had on camera, if any at all, didn't have the same characteristics as he did. And honestly, man, I'm not kidding you. His body, that's what got me. Like, you just know... I mean, he had a big pop belly, a bit, you know, big broad shoulders. He had a sway in his back. And I'm like, wow, like he's a giant body deer. And his neck almost looked like he was in like full rut. And uh, so I'm like, I'm looking at my watch and it was like, I don't know, I think 730, something like that. And I have like a half hour and his deer is like 500 yards away. Nothing you can do. Can't really throw any calls at him. I, I mean, you could try. Yeah. I didn't have my grunner with me, so that would be the only thing I'd probably try to do is just try to get his attention, you know, with that. And uh, he starts walking north down the fence line, and I'm straight east of him. And as he gets to the middle woodlot, he starts coming down the bean edge, which is kind of like I'm, I said I'm east of him, so he's kind of going northeast. So he's kind of getting closer in a way. And I'm watching my, you know, watching the time and everything, and he's kind of coming and still coming. Well, finally, he gets into the woods. In this middle woodlot on the neighbors, when deer pop out, they're only about 130 yards from me. And I'm thinking, what are the odds of him going through that woods and popping out right here? And, you know, you're, all these scenarios are running through your head and everything. And, and uh, right when he walked into the woods, it seemed like about two minutes went by, and I looked up. And I'm like, holy cow, there he is. Like, he popped out of the woods at 130 yards, and I picked my binos up, and it, and it wasn't him. It was actually a smaller seven point that I've got some pictures of, too. And uh, he walked straight across to my fence row and the neighbors, and he makes, a, he makes a scrape. And then he starts walking straight north. And I'm like, hmm, maybe Jim Abbott picked him up and, like, kicked him out of there or something. I don't know. So I'm like, maybe he's still coming through there. And it got to be 10 to 8, so it was 7.50. And I look up, and there he is. He steps out right where that little buck did. And I'm like, holy cow, there he is. So he's at, he was roughly at about 140 yards. So I'm thinking he's going to go hit that scrape, and then he's going to walk north because there's a cut cornfield to the north. And I'm thinking that's where he's going to go eat. He didn't. He turned and came right at me. And I'm like, wow, this is this is going to happen. And he's coming through the beans, and it was just like the sun's coming up, you know, a little frost. And he's, I'm like, this is something that you see on TV, you know, something that we right. film and see in the Midwest. Yeah. You know, this is happening. And uh, he he's still gaining ground, and he gets to about 85 yards, and he's at where – my fence meets the neighbor's fence and he's kind of sitting there 
And I'm like, well, is he going to cross right there? Or is he going to go out in the beans? What's he going to do? No, he turns and he comes right down the fence row right at me. So now I'm like, he's locked in. This is a done deal. He's at like 40 yards now and still coming. And I'm, and he's going to cut this inside corner and I'm going to shoot him at 12 yards. Well, that's what I thought anyway. He comes to the corner. He Yeah, he gets on my side, and instead of coming at 12 yards, he stays out in the bean field and goes at 20 yards, which is still not bad. But I only have, like, one lane cut that way, and it's about as big as a basketball. And I'm like, what are the odds of him walking through there? And I'm kind of looking at the trajectory of where he's going and where this hole's at, and I'm trying to figure out, is he actually going to come through this hole? And he was. Like, that was the line he was taking. And he got so close to me. You know, he's he's coming. You can hear the beans, like, off his body and everything, and he's just, like, like he's checking for does like he's in full run. Well, he gets to 20 yards. I got my bow, and I ranged already pre-range, and I'm locked in. I'm ready. And he needs to make like three more steps, so I, I draw back. And he comes in that lane, and I stop him because he would have been in and out of it in a split second. And you know you know that feeling you get when you stop a deer, and then they just like, you know, they didn't they didn't know they were gonna wake up that morning, and and a human was gonna stop him in a tree stand. <laughs> you know, they're like, what the what the hell was that? You know, and I'm yeah. and then it's like you've got to g- regain your composure for a split second and bury that pin and and get the best shot you can well i buried the pin and touched it off and right when it cracked i knew i hit him high shoulder and i'm like dang it you know and he runs off about i don't know 40 yards into the run the arrow comes out he runs to 80 yards and he stops and he looks around like, what the hell was that? You know, not like adrenaline kind of, you know, but he was like, what was that? And he starts licking his, the wound on the right side. I, I shot him on the right side. And I'm like, this isn't good. And he just starts walking towards the woods that he came out of, you know, on the neighbors. He crossed on the neighbors and he gets to the edge of the woods and the whole time he'd stop every 15 yards and just lick himself but he wasn't like limping you know he just didn't act like a hurt deer he gets to the edge of the woods and he kind of takes like a big gasp of air and i'm like well maybe at a for a split second i thought maybe i did get a lung because it almost looked like a, a dog when they yawn that was just like a big like you know mouth wide open kind of thing yeah and i'm like Okay, so then, but he never showed me his right side where I hit him. So I was never for certain. I just know it was high, and I know it was in the shoulder. Um, But I didn't know how high. Um, And then he walked in the woods, and that was the last time I saw him. And I shot him at 8 o'clock, 8.03 actually. So I'm like, well, I got to sneak out of here. I got to get out of the stand. And uh, I figured I was going to leave my arrow all day because, you know, I had to go to the funeral and everything, and I'm like, Time is my, you know, best friend right now. That's the only thing I can do for this deer is just give him time. And uh, I can only give him till 3.30. <laughs> I had to go out and I had to uh, I had to look at the arrow. So it was like roughly 10, 11 hours, something like that. I, since I shot him, I went out there and, um, and found the arrow. And the broadhead had broke off in his opposite side shoulder and I had eight inches of penetration. So I had eight inches of blood up my arrow. So then I'm thinking, I'm feeling like really good. Like, cause I was thinking I was going to show up and you know, maybe the broadhead was just broke off, but there was no penetration and no blood on the arrow. That was my biggest concern. Like, I hope that's not the case. Well, it wasn't. So I backed out cause I knew I was going to have some help coming in that, af- you know, afternoon. Um, some buddies were going to come over and help me. So, you know, we start in later that afternoon and found blood for probably a hundred and 130 yards to right where he went into the timber. 
and I found blood a little bit into the timber and uh, nothing, you know, it just dried up. There was no blood at all. And uh, we looked for hours that night late and uh, we ended up trying to body search that woods and didn't find anything. So, you know, I figured let's back out and we'll come in tomorrow. I'll come in and I'll see if I can get my buddy's tracking dog and and my dad was going to come and my father-in-law and my two nephews. And we were just going to walk these three wood patch, wood lots. There's three of them on the neighbors. And, and I, so there's, there's a wood lot on the south point and there's a wood lot in the middle. And then there's a wood lot on the north, but they're kind of staggered. Um, so they're not yeah. like one continuous, but they all touch each other from the corners. And on the, on the north part of the north wood lot, there's standing corn. And uh, when when I hit this deer and he started running away, he was running west. He was, so he was going straight west. So we went through the south of Woodlot the next day. Didn't find any blood. Didn't find any body, you know, him, nothing. Um, so we had already walked through the middle Woodlot, and my plan was to go to the north Woodlot. So... My dad and I start walking through there, and we get all the way through it, and uh, we come to the edge of the corn, and we kick some deer up in the corn. And one deer only ran about 20 yards and stopped. And I don't know. I still don't know till this day if if that was him or, or what the deal was. Um, it just didn't act like that deer was acting right maybe. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, so I said, well, let's back out. Let's go back to the ranger and get my father-in-law and, and gather our thoughts here and just figure out what, what we want to do. So as we're walking back through that woodlot back to, uh, to get them, I stumble upon blood in that North woodlot. And, uh, I'm like, dad, there's blood right here. And I went on and, and looked at, uh, I've got a, thing on my app on hunt stand where you can measure um it's got a measuring basically points where you can put two points on the on the map and see how far it was 600 and 680 yards from where i shot him that's where i found blood and yeah and he never bedded down we never found a bed or anything or and that's what kind of made me think like i don't think he's as hurt as he is as i you know would like him to be you know um right so I told him to watch, look for some more blood, and I was going to get my bow and talk to my father-in-law and everything because and, my plan was I was going to go in that corn. I was going to walk the corn the rest of the day. My dad found some more blood. I got my bow, and it was going right into the cornfield. And uh, I actually had my dog with me. I, my, my buddy couldn't bring his dog out, and uh, she couldn't really find anything. She's not a tracking dog, um, but she's got a really – really good nose on her. And I, and I felt like if I got her downwind of these woodlots in the corn, um, I figured, you know, she could sniff out something and, and find something possibly. Um, she had kind of hard time. And, uh, so I just spent most of the rest of the, or that day walking the corn and, um, my dad and my father-in-law stayed on the edges to see if anything popped out and nothing ever came out. And it's a big cornfield. I mean, it's, oof. 80 acre cornfield at least and um yeah you said it was still green didn't you yeah so it's not even dried up yet no so he my brother-in-law got it in late and um so i've walked a lot of corn hunting a lot of corn and it's usually dried up and, and ready to be picked basically but when you when you have that that dried up corn it's uh you can usually see i mean sometimes you can see 30 30 yards you know, and this green stuff, it was just, you couldn't see very far. I mean, I could only see like 10 feet. So it was, made it really difficult, but I felt like I needed to, you know, give my best effort to, to find this deer. And, yeah, sure. yeah. And I felt so bad already, you know, we have a, we have a duty to, to do as hunters and, you know, clean, quick ethical kills and everything. And, and I just didn't deliver on my part. And, uh, I walked the corn for a couple hours and like I said nothing came out and uh I didn't find any blood I didn't find any body I didn't kick anything up that I heard 
Um, and that was kind of it, man. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I'm still bummed, honestly. To, like it just eats me up. It eats any hunter up, and uh, yeah. not even just with a buck, but I mean even a doe. I, I hate losing does too. Um, yeah, like you said, I think any hunter. I mean, every hunter does. And if you don't, then you're doing it for a different reason. But, right. Uh, is there uh, is there any water up in there, like standing water or running water? Do you um, yeah. So in the in the middle woods there, uh, there is we had a ton of rain and I don't know if it's actually, that's the first time I've ever been in that woods. And just for everybody to know as well, I did call the neighbor and uh, ask if I could go on there. I have a pretty good relationship with him. And he said, yeah, no problem. Go in there and, and do what you got to do. And, and uh, he's really cool about it. So just to throw that out there and make sure everybody knew that. But yeah, so we went in through that middle woods and, um, and there is like, I'd, I don't know. I'd call it like a little, it's not even a pond. I mean, it's, it's probably 30 yards by 30 yards, maybe, you know, and, and it's pretty yeah. deep though. It's probably up to maybe my hips, you know, or knees to hips. And I checked that out, you know, and deer usually float, you know, I, everything I've seen and, and nothing was in there. He wasn't in there that I could see. And, nothing you know we didn't find any blood around there um but that's what i figured too maybe he'd be going to water but that that literally is probably the only water in that section um but the corn so the woodlots i was talking about they're very open woodlots like you can see through them like right now with the leaves down and everything they're very mature woodlots the corn is the only cover in that section and uh that's what my dad was saying he's like he's he's going for cover you know he's going where he he need he thinks he needs to go so i don't know like i said it's it's been almost a week and i'm still tore up about it you know yeah but. i can imagine I mean, that was i i was in a similar situation with my saskatchewan buck last year that we talked about in episode two there but I was lucky enough to find him the next day, you know, less than a hundred yards from where I shot him. But that feeling I had of knowing I was the one who screwed up, you know, had a 30 right. yard broadside shot and I shot him low. Yeah. But, uh, and I feel like an idiot once I figured out why, but yep. that was totally on me. Right. But, uh, just that thought of knowing, you know, that you're better than that, and that you want to do better for the animal's sake, but, that and the history you have with the deer and you know your it's your it's your target you know it's your intention that's a it's a representation of all the work you you put in and the reason you do it all in the first place so exactly yeah and that's and that's what my dad and father-in-law were kind of trying to tell me because i mean saturday and sunday i mean i went through a range of emotions like crazy you know all day saturday i was calling people calling friends like have you ever had this happen? I've, I've never hit a deer high shoulder and I've never had one walk off like this. And this is how he acted. And I was on line looking up the deer anatomy, like just dissecting it and, and just trying to learn more about it. And like th- trying to think back, like, where'd I hit this deer? How high was it? You know, I just, you know, you go from a high to a low and then you talk to one buddy or, you know, and, and they're like, you know, you said you got this much penetration and, and the, and the broad, broadhead still in them. Then they're saying it's a dead deer for sure. You know, he's a dead deer. So then you're like starting to think like, okay, good. You know, like, like maybe he is. And you start thinking that way. And then it's like, you get another guy saying you're going to be in for a long night. And it's like, damn it. You know, it's like, so you yeah. go up in the ebbs and flows of it. It's just unbelievable. And then Sunday comes around and you're just, you want to look for him so bad and, and do everything you can. And I, I felt like I, I did that and uh, just came up empty handed. And now, you know, I've got my cameras out and, you know, freshened up and everything. And Casey and I are leaving yeah. next week for, uh, for Kansas to hunt for two weeks. And I'm hoping when I get back, maybe he's back on camera. I, I'm really hoping that's the case. 
Yeah. Um, one thing that comes to my mind is just hearing you talk about the shot and the anatomy and stuff. Um, so you, you were definitely in front of that diaphragm. Like if it was lower, he'd have been dead or it's in the shoulder, so. obviously. So, yeah, I was so if you take like, that what I saw if you take his front leg straight up and basically right in line with the front leg and like right there it wasn't like on the on, you know on the point of the of the shoulder it was high on the shoulder. Yeah, so like in that front shoulder there is no joint like a ball and socket like in the in the pelvis. Yeah. Like it, you've cornered out any four-legged hoofed animal like that's how they all are. It's all just cartilage and tendons and connective tissue in there. So the fact that it broke off, like when he ran, that movement of his shoulder blade obviously had something to do with breaking that arrow off. And then the fact that, you know, the broadhead is still inside of him. Like I, I kind of think that maybe, you know, the, the shaft of the arrow is still stuck in his shoulder blade because I mean, that, that chest cavity is hollow other than what's in there, you know, heart, and right. Yeah. You know, so like if the arrow did break off and that eight inch piece with the broadhead fell down into that cavity and he's running around and he's walking and, you know, it's, it's in there rolling around like those broadheads are going to cut something that's going to make him die. Right. You know, so. Well, but, but actually, if the, if the shaft is still stuck in his shoulder blade, then it's still just up high and not touching anything. Yeah. So the, so actually the shaft didn't break off. So. Basically, if you were to look at my arrow, the broadhead and the insert broke off of the end of my arrow, and then oh, I had the tip broke off. Yeah, so just the okay. broadheads in them. So like on my arrow, I have blood up eight inches on my arrow from where from my broadhead up. So that's why I figured I had you know I roughly see. eight inches of penetration. So like it lodged. I'm thinking it lodged in the backside shoulder. And it lodged really well to where, you know, he's moving, but it, like, just broke the insert and the broadhead off, and the arrow just flew out. Okay, I gotcha. Yep. And then when I was looking at the anatomy there, I was trying to figure out, you know, how high does the lung go, does it go in and behind the, you know, the uh, the shoulder, the shoulder blade? And it really doesn't. It does for a little bit, but it's very kind of, like, low on the shoulder, and... There's like, from what I can see, there's like three inches of basically nothing there. Yeah. You know, just meat and yeah, the, hollowness like you were talking about. Yeah, that classic no man's land. Right. And it's, I don't know, I must have just, I don't know. On a, on a plus side, like like I was saying earlier, is, you know, my, my, my dad and my father-in-law were we're trying to, I think they're trying to cheer me up a little bit by saying, you know, like just for you to have an opportunity at a four and a half year old deer on this farm in Michigan, cause they know how much work I put into everything I do on this farm and in hunting in general, they were, you know, saying just to have that opportunity is, you know, one in itself, I guess, you know, and it made me feel a little better, but Still, yeah. like, I, you don't want to lose an animal either, you know? Nope. Well, it, what you said it's his right or his, le- his left side was the weak side, right? His uh, his left side's the good side, so... Oh, the good side. <laughs> if he does make it through, he might have two goofed-up sides next year. <laughs> uh, he shouldn't. It's, uh, like, with injuries and the way they affect antlers, uh, like if it's the front shoulders or, like, the front... Yeah, so say that the front shoulder. Um, injuries to the front legs and feet and shoulders affect the same side of antler growth. Injuries to the back end, you know, the, the back legs, hind quarters, that stuff uh, affect the opposite side. So the oh, fact really? that you shot him on his right, uh, it shouldn't affect that good left side if he lives. I guess I didn't I didn't realize that. I thought it was basically any injury on the right side would affect the opposite side and vice versa for the you know, the other side. No, it's it's the same same side if it's front legs, opposite side if it's back legs. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I don't know why that is or what the I mean, it's all about blood flow, but I don't know physiologically why how it switches sides. It's something to do with the brain. 
Yeah. Huh. Uh, I don't know, Max. That's a tough one. I mean, you know you got good blood on your arrow, and you know the broadhead's still inside of him, so. Yeah. Well, uh, my my suspicion is if he if he gets if he gets any kind of infection, uh, you'll find him within a you know 150 yard radius of that that water source. Right. Yeah, and that's you know I'm in Ohio right now. I'll be back tomorrow night late. I've I've been hunting in Ohio the last couple of days, and uh, haven't been have seen a lot of good lot of I've been seeing a lot of deer here too. So that's been good, but. My plan was when I get back um, this weekend is to – I'm going to go back there in that north woods, and I'm going to – I marked last blood where it was and kind of where it went in the corn. And you never know, I might have some buzzards flying around, you know, coyotes or something yeah. or anything that might tip it off, and I might just have to go back there. And I'm thinking about going back there and walking it again and um just maybe turning up another clue or something i feel like i need to do a little more and that's probably what i'm what i'm gonna do hunt it again i mean you never know you could you could walk into your life again too well and that was another thing too i'm gonna go i've got that camera on peyton's point still running and that's where he's been showing up the most and i might just roll in there one evening or morning and hunt it but check the camera as well and see if he's on yeah. there and see if I can just lay an eyeball on him and, and kind of go from there. If I, if I know he's still alive, um, I mean, it'll be eight to 10 days, you know, cause that's when they say infection sets in, right? About eight to 10 days, something like that. Yeah. That's what I've always found. Yeah. So if he's um, still alive after that, then I think he would probably going to make it. I would think. Then, I mean, it might be worth your time to talk to your neighbor too. And, just ask him if you could put a camera on that water. Um, just hearing you say it's the only water source in that in that section. Um, you know, if he is wounded, whether it's fatally or not, he's. I mean, deer need water every twelve hours, no matter what as it is. And then once right. they get injured, you know, they have a different reason to need it more. And if that if that really is the only water, you know, the fact that there's no forage out there right now with enough moisture in it, you know, like. I mean, they might find some alfalfa or something, but it doesn't sound like you have have that around. But you know, he's that water. They, they there's no way around it. They have to have it. Yeah, well, They're and not going to get it anywhere else. Yep. And when I was walking around that woods too, I found a big like community scrape that was just opened up. So that was my plan too to see if I could put uh, a camera on the scrape, and that's a good idea to put one on the water as well. Because, yeah. I mean, we're getting to that point where even though he is hurt and if he is still alive, I mean, he is going to be, I would think he would still be, you know, chasing does and checking scrapes possibly. So I've, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can put a, uh, a camera on the scrape and go in there and check it, you know, and just see if, yeah. see what, if he's showing back up. Yeah. You're not trying to hunt the guy's deer no, you're not asking to hunt his property. You just want to see if this buck's still alive. One hundred percent. Yeah. No. Right. But, no, I mean uh, Jared Mills had a buck on his farm last year that he called Flyers, and uh, he had already used his buck tag for that for that area. So he was just in filming one day, and I mean he got some footage of that buck after he cut his tag. But uh, that deer ended up getting a shot uh, late season with a muzzleloader. Uh huh. And he had trail camera pictures of him and this, this bullet out of the muzzle loader, it looked like it. I mean, if the guy, if this, if whoever shot him would have been, you know, two more inches to the left, like if his shot would have been two inches off than what it was, it would have been a complete miss. Cause you can see like the hair missing down the entire side of this buck, like wow. where it just grazed him, but it buried up into his shoulder and you could see this huge abscess, like on his chest, like at the base of his neck. Holy and it was um, my guess is it was the bullet that was still in there. So like Probably, he, he was yeah. infected, but you know it abscessed to the point like it was just a giant infection. And uh, he actually got his first picture of that buck like two weeks ago. No kidding, so he, he made it through, huh? Yeah, he lived. Did he? It, it was, does he still have the abscess? No, it it must have popped or 
got punctured and drained. And I mean, the deer looks, I don't want to say as healthy as he could be, but for having survived a gunshot like that, you know, an injury like that with the bullet still in him, you know, it just didn't, it didn't hit his lungs or anything. It, it looked like it might've went like just like through his skin for how hard the angle was. The shot had to have been, but wow. I mean, it, he beat the infection and he made it through, through both antlers and, that's I know, crazy. Cool, cool story. Yeah. How how is his is his antlers screwed up or anything? Uh, no, he's actually it's just a little bit smaller. Oh, I, I think gotcha. uh, he was probably fighting that infection, you know, into the spring and the summer, and a lot of his energy went into that, and just probably not as much in the antler production. Yeah. But uh, yeah, about the nutrition and and everything else, but um, yeah, I mean, the deer is totally fine and. Their their will to live is incredible, unlike any other animal. I mean, it's unbelievable what they so, can do. Yeah, they're so resilient, and I mean, how many times you heard somebody hit one with a car going fifty miles an hour, and they they get up and run off? You know, it's like, damn. I know <laughs> that's, it. that's crazy. Yeah, I, I I got one for you. Okay. I'm in a predicament here. Uh, what do you got? Our early muzzleloader season is running right now, and I've got uh, – it ends on the 22nd. So I've got like three more days to hunt if yep. I decide to buy this gun tag. And I have the time to do it. But here's my here's my thought process, and this is why I'm stuck. All this public land, a lot of it down here, especially in southern Iowa, has beans on it right now. Like it's private property that these landowners just get subsidies for to enroll yep. into these programs. So, you know, they still, they still manage it and there's a lot of ag all over the place. So like, do I, do I go buy the early season gun tag right now and just hunt hard, you know, and just really cover as much ground as I can, you know, for the next three days, hoping to, hoping to shoot one with the muzzle loader while there's still food out there or yeah. do I wait? For the late season when the food is going to be off you know take my chances trying to find a piece that still has standing beans on it and that's already been pressured for the last three months with three gun seasons and 90 days of bow hunters what do i do uh, now <laughs> i guess so if you buy a tag for this early season you can't use it for late season then Correct. With muzzleloader in Iowa, it's one or the other. If you buy the early, you cannot buy the late. Okay. Oh, man. You know, one of my – I mean, I have two favorite times of the year to hunt, and the first is the 25th of October until the 1st of November because that's when I feel like the biggest deer are up, you know, cruising for does in daylight, the best time to see them, you know, in daylight. And then the second is late season. And I've shot, um, how many, two, two bucks in late season, no, three bucks in late season in Missouri on food, like cold in January, January 13th was one. And then the year after January 14th and the other one was early January. And I love that hunting, but you have to have the food in my opinion, you know, um, that's a tough one, man. What's what's your weather going to be like the next, you know, this upcoming weekend? Uh, well, that cold front that came through was long gone, but um, that that's I don't know, it's a big factor. But it's the winds have switched back to south southwest, and our daytime highs are back like in the mid to upper sixties and lower seventies. So I mean, it's <laughs> and that's tough it's because... not a good sign but i don't know yeah. that that public land pressure is the only thing that's making me think to get the gun tag like right the deer are out there someplace just go buy the gun and find them you know buy the gun tag and find them well but you know if you I said know... you got the time for the next three days to put in as hardcore as you can who knows you might get the late gun season and not have time you know right. if you got the time yeah, you know yeah. they always say bird in the hand is is better, you know, so maybe you do that. Yeah, I know. It's, the, the day I started thinking about this, I made my mind up and I was going to do it. 
and I just keep going back and forth, and I still haven't done it yet. But <laughs> who knows, man? I, I don't. There's so much ag on all this public ground. Like, if I if I could find a piece late season with beans still on it, I mean, I'm sure so will 700 other people. But gosh, I just I'm torn. I I know better. I I know the late season should be the one to go for. But the fact I'm I'm hunting public. Uh, public property you know it's like it's just a lot of a lot of pressure for the rest of the season you know to wait until then yeah it really is that's man that that is tough i don't know you know are the beans like a are the beans all turned yeah there there's a couple that are still yellow right now that it looks like they just got sprayed but uh, most of them are dried up and ready for harvest right now are they still eating them, or are they on acorns pretty heavy right now? Well, they're still coming to beans. They're still going to them now, so it's... I think I could kill one if I did it. I see you do it. I see you do it this weekend. You got the time, put in three solid days, and go in, you know, and explore a little bit and find one and kill him. Yeah, that was that was kind of my my initial reaction to the whole thing too is like just go do it just go hunt them the way we do at home and just just cover the ground and find one yeah and that's my only thing with the late season is like like you said who knows if you're gonna have any food at all you know the pressure is one thing but pressure i mean yeah it does dictate a lot but if you have food i mean if you have standing beans there's gonna be deer there now is it gonna be your the most mature deer on the farm. I don't know, but I don't know, man. If you got food now, I'd say do it. Do it now. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually going to meet a guy tomorrow to look for for access from private property. And if I can get into this other section, then I might go for it. I'm going to meet him at 8 o'clock tomorrow, and if he says, yeah, no problem, then I may find myself with a Casey's breakfast sandwich and a really season <laughs> muzzleloader tag by 8.30. I'm jealous, man. I want a Casey's pizza so bad right now, and I can't uh, have it until next week. We're going to Kansas on the 24th, and you can bet your your butt that I'm going to have a Casey's General Store pizza in my hand <laughs> <laughs> and some chicken bites. I love their chicken bites. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, my favorite is the chicken, uh, the chicken fritter sandwich. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Their oh, donuts yeah. are always good too. Donuts are good. Yep. Yep. I have this theory that if you could find a Casey's General Store, like within a five-mile proximity to any soybean field, then you're in big black country. Well, then you need to go hunting this weekend with an early season muzzleloader tag because you got soybeans and just find a Casey's yeah. that's close by. Yep. <laughs> you better put well, that to the test and we'll do another podcast and talk about that <laughs> sounds like a plan well cool man I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go it's late I'm ready to go to bed <laughs> I've been getting up the last couple yeah, mornings and here. my lids are very heavy <laughs> yeah same here I'm ready well cool man thanks for coming on I appreciate it and, uh, and uh, keep me in the loop on your hunt if you're gonna if you're gonna do it or not yeah, I will, for sure. And good luck to you as well. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, and I'll I'll talk to you soon. All right, Aaron. Sounds good. Thanks. And there you have it. A little bit different uh, episode this week, kind of. I mean, Justin was kind of doing the interviewing a little bit, but uh, it it was really cool, and it was kind of it's kind of cool to relive the story. But I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I I still kind of sticked my stomach a little bit about what happened this weekend and not being able to find. Jim Abbott, you know, and I, I just really hope he's still alive and, you know, doing well and, and hopefully he'll show back up and and I guess the story continues possibly, you know. Uh, I got the cameras out and uh, hoping to pick him up again and, and we'll see coming up in the next couple months. And thanks everybody for listening and uh, and subscribing to the podcast. If you guys could please, you know, leave a five-star rating on iTunes and and just keep showing the support, and it's really cool and on all the feedback. And and thanks again to Justin for coming on and doing this. And uh, like I always say, don't forget, next Wednesday we'll have an all-new podcast. Thanks, guys.
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm the old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.